Now, I was wondering whether to do something Christmas related or to stick with our series in Isaiah. But happily, I found that I can do both because we got to Isaiah chapter seven. And Isaiah seven, you might know, is quoted in Matthew chapter one, the account of the birth of Jesus. So Matthew chapter one, Jesus is about to be born. And Isaiah, no, sorry, Matthew says all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will will give birth to a son and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. That's a quote from our chapter we've got to in Isaiah chapter seven, which it would be a big help if you would turn to now. Isaiah chapter seven. It means we can combine our series with the lead up to Christmas, but it won't be a typical Christmas message. Uh, And maybe that's suitable because in a world full of threats and dangers. Is it just an indulgence that we, instead of thinking about them, break off and think about a baby in a manger and some well, a nice story for the children, a nice tradition that is familiar and makes us feel warm. Is that all it is? Just a bit of an indulgence? Well, one of the reasons Matthew has quoted Isaiah 7 is to show you the birth of Jesus is about the big events of world history. It's about how to survive a threatening world. So let's see that by going through most of Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah 7, first of all, we find a world full of threats. This is verses 1 and 2, a world full of threats. If you've seen the film of the Lord of the Rings, think of the people cowering in Helm's Deep. That was this stronghold of a city. And they're cowering there in fear because they can hear the heavy tramp, 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 tramp of thousands of enemies marching to attack them. And that's what it was like for the people of Judah in the 8th century BC, which is when and where this was written, Judah, 8th century BC. Their hearts were shaken as the trees of the forest shake when there's a strong wind, we're told. Why? Because north of them was the much bigger nation of Israel and north of them was the much bigger still nation of Syria. In our Bibles, it says Aram, which was the name for it then. It's roughly Syria today. And both of them are joined in an alliance. And Israel knew that they were forging spears and sharpening their swords and saddling their horses ready to attack Judah to force them to join the alliance. How can little outnumbered Judah survive this? It was a world full of threats. And we have news full of threats, don't we? To state the obvious, COVID-19, threat of the virus, threat to health, but associated threats of economic trouble. A vaccine on the horizon, which uh, most people say great, good news. Some people see that as a threat and have worries about it. Some people are worried about, are there powers that are using this to grab power for themselves to restrict us and we won't get our freedoms back. Now, I'm not commenting on the rights or wrongs of those worries. I'm just saying there are a lot of things that people fear. 
When you get the decline of a superpower and the rise of another, it's always an unstable time. And we're living during what looks like the decline of America and the rise of China. And then waiting in the wings, there's Russia. What's Russia going to do? And then, well, Brexit isn't exactly a recipe for stability, is it? All sorts of threats and worries. Maybe you've got them personally in your life to do with your job, finances, health. Issues in your family. It's a world full of threats. So secondly, secondly, how will you react? We move on to verse three. How will you react? And let's look at the reaction of Ahaz. He was king of Judah in the eighth century BC. Where was he in verse three? Where was he? He was at the end of the aqueduct of the upper pool. Children, do you know what an aqueduct is? I'm hoping we'll get a picture. Do we have the possibility? We do. This is an old Roman aqueduct. Do you see, an aqueduct is not a bridge over a river. It's a bridge where the water goes along it. This one isn't a wide one you'd take a boat down. It's a narrow one to carry a water supply down. And Ahaz is looking at the water supply for Judah. Why is he doing that? Thanks for the picture. Why is he doing that? Well, Jerusalem was a city with strong walls, good defences. If they're going to get a big enemy approach them, what's their weak point? If they're going to be under siege, the weak point is the water supply. If that's cut off, however strong their walls, they starve. Ahaz is checking out the water supply. As we read on, we find out he's also considering joining the alliance. If you can't beat them, join them. And he's considering joining them. Now, was it wrong to check the water supply? No, very sensible. Is it wrong to get help from others? Not usually. It was in this case because it was joining the ungodly. But it's not usually wrong to join in with others for help. What's the problem with Ahaz? What's missing from his response? Very simple, very short answer. God. God was missing from his response. It was all about Ahaz's strength. It was all about Ahaz's plans. It was all about using the world's tactics as if he was no different from the unbelievers north of the border. I I wonder, are you like Ahaz? Maybe your life looks very sorted to others, maybe even to you. Maybe the things you plan and the things you do are actually very sensible, practical steps. But is God missing? Have you got a very sorted out life, but the one thing needful is absent? God. How might we react to a world full of threats like Ahaz? Well, there's loads of examples. I'll just give you two, uh, two examples of how we could personally Jane is a, an unmarried Christian who, who feels it keenly that she's unmarried. When along comes a young man who's attractive in all sorts of ways, but he's not a Christian. But he is sympathetic to Christianity and he does turn up to church, but he's not a Christian. But so will she marry him because she fears if she doesn't, she's going to be left behind and life will be miserable. She fears if she doesn't marry him when he asks her. 
Or will she trust that God will give her whatever is good for her? It's clear, here's another example at Rishi's work, that to to get promoted and to get on at work, there's a certain crowd you've got to be in with. So will Rishi join in their unclean talk? Will he turn a blind eye to their dodgy business practices that are dishonest? Because he fears that if he doesn't, he will be outside that group and that will be the end of his career and he will end up a failure. Will he take action? to fit in, or will he trust God? Uh, Just two little examples of the many ways we face. Will we be like Ahaz? Take action, the world would say that's sensible, but at its root is failure to trust God. It's not just personal, it's also true of the church. What is the impression we get of the church in the USA? Well, maybe you've got all sorts of impressions. Here's my impression. The church in the USA, this is a big generalisation, but many churches seem to have their hope in getting the right president. Their hopes in politics, getting the right high court judges, getting the right legal decisions. In the culture wars, preaching the gospel and praying. Well, that seems feeble, doesn't it? The power is in Washington. The power is in the Supreme Court. We can't be content with just preaching the gospel and praying. How feeble is that? Well, if you find that you think like that in our current climate, just preaching the gospel and praying, that's far too feeble. You are in Ahaz's company. A world full of threats. How do you react? Thirdly, what does God say about that? What does God say about that? We move on to verses four to nine to find God's response. And the first thing God says is be careful to keep still. Funny thing to say. God says to Ahaz, be careful to keep still. That's in verse four. If you've got a Bible like mine, it says, be careful, keep calm. But it wasn't two commands. Be careful and keep calm. It's one command. Be careful to keep still. In other words, he's saying, don't do this thing. Don't take action. Don't take action. He's saying, be careful to do nothing. Now, It's not always right to do nothing. Children, do you know about the shortest people in the Bible? You might be thinking of Zacchaeus, but there are some shorter ones. There was someone called Bildad the Shuhite. That's really small, isn't it? Then there was someone called Nehemiah. That's that's, uh, pretty small, too. Now, obviously, I'm making a joke about their names. It's an old, feeble joke. But this man, Nehemiah, was actually a serious character. He rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem. But he's a great example of he trusted God and took sensible, diligent, careful action. Faith. Nehemiah shows that faith doesn't mean no action. But Ahaz is told, be careful to do nothing because your action is action that shows you don't trust God. Don't do this action, which is you trying to stay in control instead of trusting God to be in control. There is action that shows you trust God. Nehemiah is a good example of that. But there is action that shows, I think I must stay in control. I don't trust God to be in control. Be careful to keep still. Then God says, see where real power lies. This is what's going on in the little rhyme or poem in verses seven to nine. 
Oh, sorry, before we get onto that poem, there's another way that God says this. I forgot. In verse four, children, I wonder if you ever had a bonfire. Have you ever taken a stick out of the bonfire? You've got to be very careful how you do this. I don't want to teach you things that are unsafe. And you take it out and it's glowing red. But what happens very quickly? It goes out, doesn't it? Very quickly it becomes cold and you give it a shake and it will fall apart because it's all ashes. It's weak. And in verse four, Ahaz is told, look, these enemies of yours, they look impressive like a fiery stick. They look fierce like a fiery stick, but they're just a smoldering stub. They'll soon have gone out. They're weak. And so the poem in verses seven to nine is saying, what are Israel and Syria? They're just led by men. The head of the head of Syria is just this man Rezin. And the head of Ephraim is just this, and Isaiah pretends he can't even remember his name. It's what's his name? What's his name? Oh, that, that son of Ramalia. I can't even remember his name. He's just a man. In comparison, King Ahaz, who do you have backing you if you'll only trust him? Verse seven. You have the sovereign Lord. Don't forget, hasn't Judah got more than human power behind it? Isn't the Lord of all with you, Ahaz? Don't forget where real power lies, Ahaz is being told. And so he's next told, stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. Do you see that at the end of verse nine? Stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. If Ahaz doesn't trust God, his aqueduct and any alliance he comes into, that'll be no good. If he's not trusting God, he's going to fall flat on his face, meaning he'll take the whole nation with him. And it's true for us also. Stand firm in your faith or you won't stand at all. So you've got trouble with your work and with your finances. Trust God. And yes, take take action that matches trusting God. But if you let go of trusting God and say, I must take that job, even though what it involves goes against my conscience. Or I must split up where the family lives because they've got to stay here and I've got to go there for my career. You let go of trusting God and take action that is out of line with trusting him. You won't stand at all. Maybe you've got worries about the current situation. I know there are people who've got worries about vaccines and COVID and restrictions by the government. Well, trust God and yes, take action that matches trusting God. But if you let go of trusting God and think politics is our answer or uh, I, I'll, I must resist what, God, what the government says, even though they're put in place by God, I'll disobey them because we've got to resist. You let go of trusting God and take your own action. You won't stand at all. Maybe it's this more general trouble that faces you. What is life all about? Why are we here? What's the point of it all? What happens to us when we die? Well, trust God, stand by faith or you won't stand at all. Let go of trusting him and life just becomes hopeless, meaningless. And death is just this unknown threat hanging over you. As the church looks weak and we scramble around to try to find a way that we don't go the way of those other churches and just decline and die out. Stand by faith in God. Because if we don't have confidence in him to work, whatever clever things we discover, we won't stand at all. 
A world full of threats. How do you react? What does God say about that? And then fourthly, well, if it's all about trusting God, what reason do we have to trust him? We move on now to verse 10 to 17. What reason do we have to trust God? And the reason given is God giving a sign, a sign to help us trust him. Now, children, imagine going outside at midnight. Do you ever get to go out at midnight? Imagine you've gone out at midnight and it's a moonless night, cloudy. It's, and there's no street lights on and it's really dark. And you go outside and you start playing a game of long jump in the back garden. Is that sensible? You run and leap in the dark. And is that a very good idea? You know, you might leap into something, mightn't you? And uh, squash your nose and get a nosebleed. Or break your arm. Taking a leap in the dark isn't a very good idea, is it? Uh, Do you know that many people say that faith in God is a leap in the dark? It's people who don't really know anything. They just sort of close their eyes and grit their teeth and say, I trust God. I'm going to do this even though I don't know what's going on because I'm taking this leap in the dark. But faith isn't really, not real faith isn't a leap in the dark. Have a look at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign, whether in the deepest depths or in the highest heights. God says, I could give you an earth shaking sort of sign, a massive sign. God gives evidence. He gives reasons why we should trust him. And the best reason is this sign, which we'll come on to in a minute. But Ahaz sounds very spiritual in verse 12. He says, oh, no, no, I'm not going to ask that. I wouldn't put the Lord to the test. He sounds like a very spiritual person. I don't want to test God. But is he very spiritual? No, he's very unbelieving. He doesn't want to trust God. He wants to stick with his plan. He doesn't want to let go of control and trust God to be in control. And he dresses it up in religious language. Do you know that? You can refuse to trust God. Say, I must stay in control in my life and dress it up in very religious language. Make it sound spiritual. But God says he sees through the show. He's going to give a sign anyway. And the sign is, let's move on to verse 14. The sign is, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. Now, what is this sign? Now, I have to admit, when I saw that it was my turn to preach on Isaiah 7, I thought, I know that Isaiah 7 is quite a difficult chapter. So I'm going to give you a very little. Well, I'm not going to go into all the details here, but I I think that this sign had a half fulfillment at the time of Ahaz. It wouldn't have much point, actually, if it didn't have something of a fulfillment at the time of Ahaz. And it was probably Isaiah's son who was born in chapter eight. Chapter eight, we find Isaiah has a son. Well, more strictly, his wife does. His wife fits the loose. The the term used for virgin could also be used for just a young woman, not literally a, a virgin. And there is this young woman who has a child. And we're told in chapter eight, he is a sign to the nation. And the way he's described fits with the prophecy. So I think there is a half fulfillment in chapter eight with Isaiah's son. 
but complete fulfillment would be 700 years later. This was often the way with prophecies. They had a half fulfillment at the time and a complete fulfillment many years later. Complete fulfillment would be when in 700 years time, an actual literal virgin would be with child and give birth to a son. And he would actually literally be God with us because he was God come down to this earth and he would be called Emmanuel. As you read in Matthew 1, but he would also be called Jesus. What is his birth a sign of? Oh, his birth is a sign to us in a way that fits with Ahaz, actually. His birth is a sign you should trust God. His birth is a sign you should trust God because his birth was God keeping his promise. Now, to see this. To understand what's going on in chapter seven, remember there were no chapter divisions to start with. Ignore the chapter divisions. Seven to nine is all one continuous piece of writing. No chapter divisions. So in chapter seven, a boy is born in a time of poverty. That's why you're told in verse 15, he's going to eat curds and honey. Now, I don't know if you think curds and honey sounds nice, but at the end of the chapter, you find they're eating that because it's poverty and they haven't got any proper food. Why is he in a time of poverty? Chapter eight tells us because the enemies have invaded and they have ruined the land and they've made it a land which gets so bad that by the end of chapter eight it's called a land of darkness. And then comes chapter nine. And chapter nine says the darkness is going to end. The light is going to shine. Why? Chapter nine, because to us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. Now, what I've done there is I've tried to show you that chapter seven and chapter nine all tie together. Ignore chapter divisions. Don't divide it. And the child that's born and the son that's given in chapter nine is the same as the child that's born and the son that's given in chapter seven. In other words, he's the promised king. He's the one God promised to King David. He's the one that chapter nine says he will rule on David's throne forever. Children, I didn't know what Callum's talk would be, but this is the same as the children's talk. It's the son of David coming. His birth tells us God keeps his promises. You should trust him. And the circumstances, the way his birth happens, tells us you can trust him. You can trust him. Chapter seven to nine take us through this time of devastation for Judah. They were devastated by Assyria invading and then by Persia and then by Greece. And then by Rome, and then Emmanuel was born. And there'd been no king of David for hundreds, king on David's throne for hundreds of years. And all around looked chaos and trouble, and then Emmanuel was born. And how was this boy born? Verse 14. How was he born? A virgin conceived. And when that virgin was told by the angel Gabriel that she was going to conceive, understandably, she had some big questions about this. And she was told what is impossible with humans is possible with God. The way he was born, what was going on when he was born, 
is all assigned to you. You can trust God when all around looks chaos and God's way looks impossible. And his birth was also a sign that you must trust God. What was it like when Jesus was born? He was born into poverty. He was born into a country that had been oppressed for hundreds of years. He was born at a time when the household of David was ruined. And they hadn't sat on the throne for centuries. Why? Why was it like that? Because Ahaz had refused to trust God. Because Ahaz, instead of trusting God to sort things out, had said, I've got a plan. I'm going to go and ask the king of Assyria for help. That's what he did. Instead of trusting God, he said, I know someone more powerful than Israel and Syria. I'm going to go to the king of Assyria to help. And that was like taking hold of the tail of a tiger. Children, have you seen a tiger in the zoo? You fancy grabbing it by the tail and say, come and play with me, Mr. Tiger. Yeah, give his tail a tug. Come and play with me, Mr. Tiger. Well, King Ahaz was a bit like that. He said to Assyria, come and help me. And the tiger, Assyria, turned and tore the country apart and it never recovered. And it's it was judgment for not trusting God. And it's a picture to us that God gives us so much and he even gives us reasons to trust him. And he offers to us peace and security. And if we refuse, there is judgment. So let's end with this. What's the result of trusting God? Ahaz is told you, you must trust God. We've seen, we've heard there a little of the result of not trusting God. What is the result of trusting God? Well, the child is a sign even of that. Have a look at verse 14. Children, this, this child had this name, Emmanuel. But what does Emmanuel mean? Well, if you've got a Bible like mine, you have to look at the footnote to see what it means. Or if you look at Matthew 1, it will tell you what it means. Emmanuel means God with us. Jesus was Emmanuel because he was God become a human. God become a human to live among us. He he actually worked alongside people on a building site as he fixed the roofing beams. Fancy that, we've got some nice roofing beams above us. Think of this, God came and did things like that, not as impressive and big as that. They would have been just ordinary houses in Nazareth. And there were people working on a building site and there was God working next to them, fixing the roofing beams. He came to work alongside them. God come to walk alongside them. He walked with the crowds and he taught them. God come to actually mourn alongside them as he stood at a grave and cried over someone who died. God come to die alongside criminals as he hung on a cross next to them. God who made the world come to actually be with them. Jesus was Emmanuel because he was God come to give us the Holy Spirit to live actually in us and work in us and to change us from the inside out. Jesus was Emmanuel because he was God come to reconcile us to himself so we could have God with us forever. Do you see, do you see the, the ways he's Emmanuel? I've tried to go through there. He was Emmanuel 2000 years ago. God actually come to live with people. He's Emmanuel now, God giving us his spirit to be with us. And he's Emmanuel forever. God comes so that we could be with God forever. I love the way this is described at the very end of the Bible. 
Revelation 21. Now the dwelling of God is with men. That's Emmanuel. He will live with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. Now, how close is that? Who can wipe tears from your eyes? Who can wipe tears from your eyes? Well, at the moment, they've got to be in your bubble, haven't they? Yeah, they're not allowed to wipe tears from your eyes if they're not in the same bubble as you. I I suppose the most likely is people in your family. It could even be a painful question for you, couldn't it? Who can wipe the tears from your eyes? Because maybe you haven't got anyone to wipe the tears from your eyes. And that would be a painful question. But here the picture is obviously of a parent and child. This, This closeness with God forever. Jesus is Emmanuel because he can get that for us. For whom? I said for us. For whom? Who is God with? Who's God with? Well, there's a little detail in Matthew that answers this for us. In Isaiah 7, we're told the mother will call her baby Emmanuel. That's pretty straightforward, isn't it, for a mother to name the baby. But in Matthew, who calls Jesus Emmanuel? Matthew changes it. He doesn't say she will call her baby Emmanuel. He says they will call him Emmanuel. And who's the they? Well, two verses before tells us that they is, well, it says he's also called Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. The they, the ones who can call him Emmanuel, are his people that he saves from their sins. They're the ones for whom he's God with us. They're the ones who are reconciled to God and will be with him forever. And so the simple question is, is that you? Is that you? Are you one of his people? Has he saved you from your sins? Are you saying, well, how do I know that? Well, is your trust in him? Are you trusting the Lord Jesus? Are you turning from going your way to going his way? Is that you? I have asked that question so many times over the years. But have you answered it yet? Children, adults, everyone, have you answered it yet? Are you one of his people? Has he saved you from your sins? And if so, he is your Emmanuel. God with you now and God with you forever. Let's pray.